Happy Friday, everyone. Welcome into another edition of Final Whistle. As always, I'm your host, Blaine Spencer. I've got a co-host with me today. I've got Tim Best, a.k.a. the Igloo Podcast with Timmy Ice. He covers Big East basketball, and he's coming on to talk Big East, the bubble, and more. Tim, thanks for coming on. I know you've had some great content that's been coming out lately. You had a couple Marquette interviews recently, or former Marquette players right. recently. Yeah, well, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me on again, man. So, yeah, the Igloo's been busy. I mean, it's March. The Igloo, it's just going to get even busier. The March Marathon, I'm going to start Sunday after tomorrow's regular season finales. It's crazy. 11 straight hours of Big East Tube starting at noon and rolling on at 2.30. Five, seven, and nine. Like, for me, as just a general Hoops fan, that's heaven. And to get 11 straight hours of Big East Tubes, Oh man, like I'm going to be on cloud nine. It's going to be a lot of fun. And then start the Big East Marathon, uh, uh, the Igloo March Marathon on Sunday uh, with recaps of that day. And then, of course, uh, I just new development. I'm going to be getting a uh, former Butler uh, small forward. Sean McDermott is going to join the show. Um, uh, you know, this is going to be the first time I'm going to get to interview a guy who um, was a player last season and had his senior season. Um, unfortunately cut short due to COVID. So it'd be really interesting to, you know, get to talk in depth with him about everything he was feeling uh, the day when he found out not only was the Big East tournament canceled, but we all know how good Butler was last year. They were going to be a contender in the NCAA tournament. So uh, that's going to be on the way. And of course, a whole lot of great content as, um, throughout the week as I'm, I'm going to be covering the uh, Big East tournament virtually. Uh, so that's going to be a lot of fun. You know, hey, you know, this is March, baby. Yeah, you can't make it up. Best month of the year, baby, for us college basketball fans. We can't can't write any other script other than March Madness itself. But Tim, let's let's jump right in. I know this week is a big uh, weekend for the regular season. There are so many different scenarios that can still play out. But we're gonna start talk that some breaking news that happened last night. Creighton head coach Greg McDermott was suspended indefinitely from the team and from all team activities from the school, the University of Creighton, due to what he said this past weekend uh, that came uh, across as a potential racial slur. Uh, he came out and openly apologized that, uh, that day, a couple of days later, knowing that he didn't, uh, it, it wasn't intended that way. But as soon as he got back from the road trip with the Blue Jays last night, he was suspended. What is your overall take? about what transpired in this last week? You know, from my knowledge um, and being able to actually uh, speak uh, earlier um, this week and actually hearing what uh, one of his former players, Jahens Managa, had to say. Uh, Jahens was a prime player on uh, Creighton's really good 2014 squad where Doug McDermott was the leader, um, and he hosts uh, his own Creighton podcast called uh, The J. Uh, it's part of the field of 68 network. And what he said was, this isn't like, this is a repeated pattern of racism uh, on the part of coach McDermott. This is, he was obviously taken aback. Um, he definitely admitted that those words could not be defended and it, it shouldn't even be attempted to be defended. Uh, it was absolutely poor word choicing on the part of McDermott. And I, along with, you know, Jahens and so many others, of course, we saw what Coach Matt, Max message was meant to be, but he obviously used egregiously incorrect wording. Um, essentially, he was trying to get the message of, you know, 
this is where the journey only begins. Not this is not where it ends, but instead he obviously said, you know, I can't have anyone leaving the plantation. Um, I, it, it's, it's not good. It's not good. And you can't admit, I can't miss my words on that. It's a bad look. And obviously uh, coach McDermott was extremely remorseful. It's one thing to apologize, but it's another thing to actually tell your team that you would be willing to resign in order to, you know, mend, you know, make amends with the player, with your players that you've hurt through your use of words. And I think that speaks a lot to coach McDermott's character that, you know, he'd be willing to lose his livelihood um, if it meant preserving the sanctity of his team. So um, obviously I think Creighton suspending him was ultimately the right move, but, at a really bad time. They maybe could have waited till the beginning of next season uh, to punish him because, you know, adding this, given how they've struggled over the last couple of games, you know, this is the last thing you want because this is a Creighton team that, you, you know, you look at them on paper, you know, this is a real sweet 16 contender, man. They could make it to the second weekend of the tournament. They had a chance to do it a year ago and they were robbed of that because of COVID. And, you know, it, it's just really unfortunate, uh, and it's the reactions have been crazy. Jahens was one of those guys that actually sympathized with Coach Mack and accepted his apology. Other players like Mo Watson, who was leading the country in assists for Creighton a few years ago, uh, Mo instantly questioned the sincerity of the apology. Uh, so it, it's been a mixed bag. I don't blame anyone for not being able to forgive Coach Mack because. You know, you can't take back your words. You know, once they're said, you know, you can't go back and change them. So I think, obviously, the damage has been done. And for Coach Mack, you know, he's he's got a lot of work to do if he wants to regain uh, the trust of his team and, of course, uh, the university that has, you know, kept him at the helm now for the past 11 years. Yeah. For me, this the suspension was inevitable. It was going to happen whether 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 he liked it or not. I'm surprised that the presidents and the university didn't suspend him on the road trip. I was actually surprised that he they let him finish the road trip. I think they were trying to figure out all the details. That could have been part of it. But I was very surprised that he wasn't immediately suspended and put, or put on pause from being dismissed from the team immediately just because – of how how it all transpired yes it was probably the worst misuse of words i've seen in a long time because we know coach mcdermott he he is all about his players and his players still wanted him to coach i think that they still want him to coach yeah because uh, players yeah, on his current team want him yeah, to still coach yeah so yeah max said like if, it, if that's what it takes i'm willing to resign but his players insisted that he stay on yeah, but it was it's ine- inevitable. It was just such a bad look, and I think the suspension only had to happen now because of the mixed bag of responses that he's gotten. As soon as you get a couple people that question his sincerity of his apology or even question the language that he was using, it's over from there. Like you have to. It you it didn't it doesn't matter at that point. Uh, we know Coach McDermott's a great basketball coach. He's a great mind. But he really threw himself 
he probably dug himself a hundred feet into the ground this, this past weekend. And he has now a lot of work to dig himself out because I think this will not end swiftly at any time. This could really, this could really jeopardize his career, especially depending on how more and more people respond to the language that was used. I know he was trying to focus on team camaraderie, but it just was not the way, the correct way to approach the entire situation. So, and we do not condone any of the words he said. We condone all of the words he says. We're not supporting that in any way. We know that was completely wrong, but it was, it's what happened. And yeah. we had, to, we have to talk about it because it's yeah. your news for a potential second week team in March Madness that now, again, they've looked very bad the last two games. Not just yeah. bad, they've looked egregiously bad against Xavier and Villanova. So it's going to be really interesting to see if this team can even bounce back. Do you think they will bounce back? You know, I thought about this, and I kind of question now as they face Butler tomorrow, but you also got to look at like, okay, Butler clearly not a tournament team, and they are – really bad on the road compared to at home. You know, they went seven and three at home in conference play. They're just one and eight on the road. Yeah. So I would trust Creighton winning at home, but I would not be surprised if they like eked out a win and, and barely. And another thing about the whole McDermott situation, if this was a repeated pattern, I, my opinion would be completely different on this, but since this is the first and only instance that we've seen of McDermott showing ignorance, I just don't think that it's that bad. Well, obviously what he said was bad, but if this were a repeated offense, then I would be looking more for him to actually, you know, uh, not only his own resignation, but for even the athletic director in the university to force their hand and force that resignation out of him. Yeah. So we're going to see how the Creighton Blue Jays response going to be really intriguing to see. Luckily, that team has a lot of upperclassmen and senior leadership. So to Mitch Ballock, Marcus Zagorowski, it's time for you to basically become the coach. I know they're going to have an assistant coach step in, but it's going to be based off of the players. Now, coaching's not going to be able to sit handle this with McDermott gone. It's all going to come down to the play of the players. So we'll see how this goes. And I think it's really interesting this weekend. A lot of different scenarios are still available in the Big East. So what do you, what is the biggest game that's really you have your eye on this weekend to try and look at seeding and et cetera? Like in an unbiased way, I think the last two games you're going to see this year, uh, the first, the main one being Seton Hall, St. John's, the other being Xavier at Marquette. Those are going to be the big games that determine, okay, who gets a buy, who doesn't. Cause for Seton Hall, it's pretty simple. If you win Saturday, you get the number four seed in the Big East tournament, signed, sealed, delivered, you got it. But if they lose, that's where things kind of get tricky because if you're Seton Hall, you want to be sure you get that first round by. And you want that because Villanova is your number one seed. And Villanova just lost their heart and soul, Colin Gillespie. And that makes Villanova look a heck of a lot more invincible because when you lose a guy that's that talented, that's cerebral, that just – plays the game in such an intelligent way that makes everyone around him better that that team's going to take a major hit and that takes them out of contention for being a final four team and, and that's just me being brutally honest I mean that team 
could not go as far as they would expect without the leadership on and off the court of Colin Gillespie. So, you know, you want to be in that four or five game to get a first round bye. The easy way to do it is just by beating St. John's, but they could still find a way to be in that four or five game. And the only way that happens, even if they lose, they would need Xavier to lose as well at nine o'clock that night. And Xavier, they got a lot to play for because their tournament resume is now being questioned. If they have a losing conference record, that's going to hurt them big time. And for sure. And, and they're another team like Butler that has been significantly better at home than on the road. They're five and two at home in conference, but they're just one and four on the road. Their only road win came, I believe against Butler way back in January. And ever since they came off that second COVID pause, you know, in the middle of February, they have not looked like themselves. They've lost four of their last six. They lost at Georgetown. They lost to UConn at home without book night. They lost at St. John's. They, they got smacked at Providence. Like this Xavier team is not looking like that surefire team we were looking at at the end of January. Uh, so essentially you're playing for your tournament lives at this point. And in a way this feels like deja vu from last year because Xavier was in that prime spot heading into the final week of the regular season, looking like a lock to be in the tournament, but they lose their last two regular season games. And then they lose in the first round of the Big East tournament against DePaul who finished dead last. And if the tournament happened, Xavier wasn't going to make it. They were going to be in the NIT. So there is that sense of deja vu. And I think if Xavier really wants to avoid that, you obviously have to win at Marquette. But Marquette has been playing really well. Um, you know, they beat North Carolina last week in Chapel Hill. They beat DePaul on the road. You know, they're trending upward. And I, I think if you're if me being objective, Marquette's the more talented team. And Xavier lost a guy who's gave them so much depth on the perimeter in the form of Nate Johnson. I, I think at one point he was leading the entire country in three-point field goal percentage. That takes that element away from them, and that's what brings Xavier down. And I really do think that Xavier's in major jeopardy going to Milwaukee Saturday night. I really do believe they're going to lose. So in that – like bold prediction right there? Bold prediction you think Xavier's – you think Xavier loses on Saturday? Yeah, I, re- I really do. I mean, you look at what Marquette has. Dawson Garcia, DJ Carton, Greg Elliott has been a re- revelation in the starting lineup, and then – Kobe McEwen being the mature senior leader that he is, he's taken a bench role and taken it in stride. He's been looking really good off the bench and giving him that extra push um, and depth um, at the shooting guard position. So, and not to mention, you got the best shot blocker in the league in the form of uh, Theo John and also helps that you get another really good freshman, Justin Lewis back into the mix after missing the last few games. Uh, I like Marquette winning. And I think another thing, I think with Seton Hall, St. John's, I think if you're Seton Hall, you got to win this game. St. John's is without Posh Alexander still. Um, I know they just beat Providence, but St. John's, man, if they win on Saturday, which I think there's a very good chance that they will, they're going to be right back in the tournament conversation, possibly being, you know, the number four seed um, in the Big East tournament um, if they were uh, to win this game and also get a little bit of help uh, with Xavier losing as well. So, I mean, so there's a lot the of Johnny's still have an outside chance, you know, with the way that they're playing, they're such a sleeper team. If they can get the proper matchups in the big East tournament, getting a top four seed for starters and winning your quarterfinal game, and then getting that 
rubber game with Villanova in the semifinals. If they go to the Big East Championship game and they have a 10-9 and conference record in the regular season, I really think you have to consider them more in the tournament. But obviously, in or- if they lose on Saturday to Seton Hall, I, I think they're done, unless yeah. they win the Big East tournament. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see. But I, in reference to Seton Hall, Seton Hall was trending in the wrong reasons this this week. Um, Bryce Aiken, he finally came back from his injury. And we talked about this on Tuesday. If you hadn't seen my podcast on Tuesday, we thought Bryce Aiken was going to be an X factor. And he was absolutely non-existent. And then he decided to be trending on all over social media. As you, as everyone may know, if you've seen the clip, he was 23 of 23 from the free throw line. And he goes up, starts talking trash at the free throw line and said, I ain't missing or something along those lines. Yeah, I, the exact I think, wording. I think there was the also exact... some derogative language in there that I didn't want to say either. So, yeah, I think the correct wording was, I ain't never missing this. Yeah. And, but there was, then there was, I think he had some explicit language. So we're going to keep it PG, but, mm-hmm. but. He ends up almost airballing, barely kisses the iron on the first one. Then on the se- then let alone not just missing the first one, he misses the second one, and now he's blowing up all over because he missed both of them after talking all that trash in the UConn game on Wednesday, which was pretty much a playing game for either of those teams into the NCAA tournament. And UConn now has pretty much solidified themselves as a lock in the mm-hmm. tournament. And I think, in my opinion, I think Tim you agree as well. Uh-huh. And now the hall is on the outside looking in. So it's going to be really, what do you, what is your take on this whole Bryce Aiken situation that took place? You know, I grew up playing basketball my whole life. And, you know, a major point of emphasis that my dad who coached me and then uh, uh, his good friend who was an assistant coach for mine, they always emphasize, emphasize the importance of free throws and the way you become a good free throw shooter. is not really more so the scale. It's about the routine and if it becomes routine, it becomes muscle memory. And what we saw was simply Bryce Aiken falling out of routine by, you know, trying to get a little cocky. Like it, it, it went from confidence. You're, da- you're down like eight, eight. What was it? Seven or eight points at that point. It's not like you're yeah. in the game, but like it you're. A, it's not like you're ahead by yeah. twenty. It was a fourteen point swing. They were they went from up seven or right around the four minute mark of the first half to down seven early in the second half. And then Aiken goes to the line, you know, obviously you want to be confident in your abilities, but you don't try to make that public by trying to say, you know, I ain't never missing this. Like, you know, just if your free throw routine is just keeping your mouth shut and just, you know, quietly just going about your routine, just making your free throws. And that's what worked the first 23 times. You need to keep doing that. And taking himself out of that routine threw him off completely. And it showed because he missed the first free throw short. And then on the second one, the adjustment he tried to make was putting a little more oomph on it. And what do you know? He misses off the back iron. So, he, you know, as DJ Khaled says, you know, like, congratulations, you played yourself. For sure. But let's, let's transition because as we're talking Seton Hall, Bryce Aiken, like, just that's almost like, what, a, what are you doing moment? Like, Why? But let's tr- let's jump to the bubble for a second because I know we've got a couple Seton Hall teams that are uh, not Seton Hall teams, bubble, Big East teams, excuse me, that are on the bubble right now. As we've been mentioning, Xavier is right now, according to Joe Lunardi, we're looking at Joe Lunardi's stuff because 
If you guys don't know, again, I interviewed Joe Lenardi last week. So please go check out that interview. But the Igloo also interviewed Joe Lenardi last month. So go check it out. We're hyping up Joe Lenardi with our podcast right now. Oh, yeah. So go check those out. We had two two great interviews with Joe Lenardi. So it was a pleasure having him on. So we're going to give Joe Lenardi some love and look at his bubble watch. So his last four buys as of today, Louisville, Rutgers, Georgia Tech, VCU. Rutgers really sliding when we thought they were almost a lock. At mm-hmm. some point. Now last four in, we have Drake, Michigan State. Here's our first Big East squad, Xavier. And then Boise State is the last team in. First team out is the Seton Hall Pirates. Then you have Utah State, St. Louis, Duke. And then the next four out, Syracuse, SMU, Memphis, Old Miss. So, Tim, based off of what I'm talking about, what are, what are, what are you most intrigued to see? And do you see any teams that are going to be able to make their way in and some teams that are going to potentially fall out on the bubble? Well, you know, I think you, you, got, you got to start with the mid-major, Drake. I think – if you don't make it to the Missouri Valley title game, I think you, you fall can't, out. Can't put them completely. In. Yeah, exactly. I mean, especially if they lose tonight, which I mean, that'll be as crushing a blow as you could possibly get. And it's crazy to think Drake was the third to last team to lose a game this year, this season. It's crazy as that sounds. Um, now, and now you bear, and now they barely have a chance of getting in, which is almost absurd. Yeah. So obviously arch madness, anything can happen out in St. Louis, but if you're Drake, you got to weather the storm. You have to make it to the Missouri Valley final. If you want to be absolutely sure you get in Michigan state, I think if they lose again to Michigan Saturday, which I think there's a very good chance that they will, that that's going to inhibit them from cracking the field, especially unless they go to Indianapolis for the big 10 tournament and win a few games there. Uh, Boise I think state, for that for Michigan state, they have to make this game look competitive. It wasn't even close the other night. So you got to make this game respectable to keep the committee in, in check, don't you think? You got to at least put up a, yeah. a respectable showing because you got routed the other night. Yeah, I mean, you're going to be at the Breslin Center. Now you're holding serve at home, and they look better at home in the last few games. You know, they beat Illinois. Uh, Aaron not Henry's too long been an ago. absolute stud these past couple weeks. He's yeah. finally come into his game a little bit. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. So I think if Michigan State wants to be on the right side of the bubble, I think you got to pull an upset here. But if they lose, it's again, you got to be competitive in order to, you know, be on the right side of the bubble. So there's a way you can still be on that right side, if even in a loss. But the only way you do it is by staying competitive against the number two team in the country, which there's no doubt Michigan ain't going to be number two come next week, given how Illinois annihilated them in Ann Arbor earlier this week. Um, but without IO, without IO too. Yeah, that that's and, another thing. And Illinois, they beat Ohio State in the game before that without Dosomu. They have they they played their two best games without Dosomu in the lineup. It was absolutely absurd to me. Yeah, I I think they are really padding their resume and asserting themselves as that last number one seed. Um, I, I re- and I really do believe that. Uh, but you talk about another thing is crazy. Uh, with Xavier, you know, this was a team that was, you know, they, they were lucky enough to only have like 13 games, you know, after the month of January, they were like four and two in conference. They were 11 and two overall. So they were right at that 13 game minimum. And since then they just fallen apart. Like I said before. Yeah. And you have if, them losing again, as your bold prediction to lose tomorrow night against Marquette. And if you lose there, you're pretty much done. 
Otherwise, yeah. you have to make the Big East final to have any chance of moving yourself back in. I totally agree with you. And, and you know, when it comes to Seton Hall and Xavier right now, Xavier in, Seton Hall out. In my opinion, based on certain results that might happen, if Xavier loses on Saturday, which I think they will, and you got, and if Seton Hall wins and they end up, you know, getting a win in the Big East tournament along the way as well, I think there's only a few ways you can go about judging Seton Hall and Xavier being tournament eligible. I think you either have just one of them in, the one being Seton Hall, you will have both of them in, or you have none of them in. Because I just, I just don't see how you can justify Xavier being in the field, given how Seton Hall whacked them back in December. I just can't see any sort of justification. So Seton Hall, it's really simple. You win at St. John's, you get a little bit of help from bubble teams that well, are probably playing in. each other in that first in that quarterfinal game, though, right? Because they should, could be. both they of them hold be. serve this weekend. It'll be Seton Hall Xavier in that quarterfinal matchup. It will and that be, would yeah. almost become a play-in game, basically. I agree with you there, and I, I think if Xavier wins that game, then you probably are going to be more suited to put Xavier in the field. So I think the big thing is, if you're Xavier, you absolutely got to find a way to win at Marquette. But the way they've been playing, I just don't see that happening, especially without having such a tremendous threat on the perimeter with Nate Johnson. You know, like that, you know, essentially you had to like find like superhero type performances from guys like Paul Scruggs and Zach Fremantle to like make up for that. And you can't rely on those two guys that heavily because eventually that's going to take a toll on them. And I think we're starting to see that take a toll on them because none of the other guys behind them have stepped up enough in order for them to win basketball games. And I just think we're going to see that again in Milwaukee tomorrow. Yeah. So let's, I think it's going to be really interesting to see. I actually, I, I do like that Marquette pick a lot. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how, what kind of uh, motivation Xavier has in a, in a much needed game but also a lot of like a trap game as you mentioned how they've struggled on the road tim i'm gonna ask you i'm gonna list the the teams that are on the outside the eight squads that are on the outside right now give me a couple that you think really have a great shot of working themselves back into the into the bubble so we have seen hall utah state st louis duke syracuse smu memphis and old miss at the moment out of those eight teams just give me a couple that you think really have a legitimate shot of working their way into the field. You know, I think the first team and I I'm probably biased in my thinking, but I think it's Seton hall because you can play yourselves into the tournament by beating St. John's and Queens and then going into the garden and winning that quarterfinal game in the five, four matchup and getting a shot at Villanova in the semifinals. Now I know Villanova is going to be without Colin Gillespie, but, a win against Villanova is still going to count the same. If And Seton Hall, the big thing with their resume is that they lack a signature win. If they get it against their Villanova. only quad one win is UConn. Yeah, so if they get that win. And, and the, the win against UConn has an asterisk next to it because they didn't have book night. So, and, and, they, and UConn's looked absolutely unstoppable since book night's come back too. Agreed. So And, you know, because of his return, they've locked themselves into the field. So if you're Seton Hall – I know beating Villanova without Gillespie, Gillespie is going to look tainted, but you got to look at each opportunity. Like if they win the next three games, that puts themselves in the Big East final against 
you know, I think it's going to be UConn that ends up being there with how hot they've been. And I just don't trust Creighton being embroiled in all that controversy. I think it's going to be too much of a distraction for them heading into uh, New York City next week. So I think Seton Hall is at the top of the list. And I think the next best option out of those teams that you listed, I think number two is Duke. As crazy as that sounds, if they beat Carolina on Saturday. Oh, they'll move Chapel right Hill, into the field. I think they will. And, you know, given how weak the ACC has looked, the door is open for them to make a run um, in that conference tournament. Uh, you know, it's not a runaway with it being Virginia's league or even Florida State's league. Like, I really do believe that Duke has as good a shot as anybody else in the conference, as far as I'm concerned, as crazy as it sounds, uh, given no Jalen Johnson, but shockingly they've looked just as good as even, or even better without him. So I think Duke is that number two position in terms of who's in the best position to play themselves in. And then I think the third team is St. Louis. Yeah, and- I I agree. I think St. Louis, had, the Billikens have a great shot. I, th- I can't remember what side of the bracket they're on, but I think, they, if they win tonight, you get Bonaventure in the semis, I want to say. Yeah, that, sound, that sounds about right. I Because I think they were the four seed coming in, so that would put them getting the Bonnies in the semis. But there's your chance. Your chance to play you play yourself in. You beat Bonaventure, you, you pretty much played yourself into the field. And then you it's probably them against VCU in the final. And then you probably get potentially three teams out of the A-10 now instead of two. Because I think St. Bonaventure's already pretty much solidified themselves as a team in at the moment. So I think it's really interesting to see because you have VCU. They have the la- they're one of the last four buys that are in the dance. So they can't have a hiccup. I think they're playing right now, actually. I think they are. Yes, they are. They're up early. They're playing Dayton right now. If you want to go check that out, NBCSN. <laughs> but um, Friday, yeah, Friday no, the 10, they have baby. a real trap game, I think, though, tonight. I can't remember who they're playing off the top of my head. Here, let me pull it up. Um, I feel like who are I feel like it's on the tip of my tongue, and now I just can't remember it. It's yeah, not, no, I'm, I'm pulling it up right now. I'm trying to see. Uh, Saint, yeah, so St. Louis, I think they're playing UMass right now. I think VCU gets Dayton, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. Yeah, VCU's playing Dayton. Oh, St. Louis just won today. St. Louis beat UMass already today. So, yep, good call. So they've handled business. They beat them convincingly, too. Beat them by 15. Um, so it's going to be interesting. I think, yeah, St. Louis, I'm pretty sure they get the Bonnies this, uh, either t- tomorrow or Sunday. I can't remember. I, 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 it might be tomorrow and then you get a full week off and you play the A10, A10 championship game next Sunday. They play, they play, the, they would play, I think tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. And then what's going to happen. The big question is now. And the A-10 has been really competitive. I think people have really slept on that conference. You have a Davidson team that's well over 500. George Mason has really flown under the radar. I think that 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 tournament's really up for grabs, I think, more than people actually realize. I, I totally agree with you there. I mean, the A-10, it, it's, it's a deep conference. And, you know, everyone was talking like, oh, this is Richmond's conference to lose. Well, they lost it already. I mean, they were they finished as the eight seed. They lost in the – in the second round of the tournament. Yeah. Duquesne shut knocked yeah. them out. Yeah. So like, you know, it's it just a testament to just how good the other programs have been. St. Bonaventure has taken that major leap. St. Louis was expected to be a really, really good team. They have the talent 
to make the tournament. Now it's just a matter of just putting it all together. You know, they, they got by the first hump, you know, beating UMass. But if they get that win over St. Bonaventure, I think that all but solidifies them being in, but it's going to be barely in. Like, I think they're going to be that very last team in the field. But, you know, I, I'm intrigued to see what the other bracketologists are going to have to say um, regarding, you know, what the other bubble teams are going to look like, you know, after this weekend, because you can have a lot of movement uh, going around because we don't know what Drake's going to do in the Missouri Valley tournament. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen with Seton Hall and Xavier in their game Saturday. And we don't know where Michigan State's going to stand after potentially losing twice in three days against Michigan, a uh, chance to get another signature win and, you know, blowing that opportunity potentially. Yeah. And then for me and my other team, other than St. Louis, I think the Syracuse Orange have a real opportunity. Their season's over. They get to sit back this weekend and just watch the cookies crumble, as you may say, and see teams fall back and really don't handle business. And they had two quality wins this week. You beat Clemson and North Carolina. Those are some two solid wins out of the ACC. And then you go, you make a couple of wins in the ACC tournament. I think they have a real opportunity and they're humming at the right time too. They're st- they've figured it out under, with Bayheim uh, as well as Gurrier and Richmond. I think they have a real opportunity here, especially this weekend because they don't play this weekend. They just get to sit backs and enjoy the ride. So, yeah. And Hey, let's not forget Alan Griffin, man, by the way, yeah. son of uh, son of, you know, Adrian Griffin, legendary Seton hall forward who, you know, is an NBA champion yeah, assistant coach with the Raptors. 15 a game, 15 and six. Yeah. And I mean, he, he's great on the defensive end too. I mean, having that kind of length on the defensive end is what makes Syracuse, you know, even when it seems like they're not going to be in, like they find a way to get in that conversation around this time every year. And it's like, it's like an, it's like a March tradition, like no other man. Like it, as someone being someone from upstate New York, like, it, it really is just a yearly trend of Syracuse just making this real late, unexpected push. And then, you know, Selection Sunday comes like, did they actually make it? It's been like that since like 2016. Oh, they got in somehow, as always. Somehow snuck themselves in too, usually. Yeah, you never know. In, in nine days, we're going to find out. Yeah, well, Tim, I appreciate you taking some time coming on, talking some college hoops. Where can everybody go catch out your content? So – uh, it's the Igloo with Timmy Ice. It's a podcast uh, that I produce on Anchor, but it's available wherever you find your podcast. I know Apple Podcasts is a popular site that a lot of people are on, you know, being team iPhone and whatnot. So uh, Apple Podcasts, probably your best place to look, uh, but it's on Anchor and uh, several other platforms. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. And of course, you know, I'm going to have an episode a day starting on Sunday uh, and it starts with that interview with Sean McDermott. And then I'm going to go in depth with uh, Jahens Maniga. Um, you know, talking more about the whole situation with, uh, with Coach McDermott and, of course, you know, talking about his playing career at Creighton, um, you know, helping them elevate themselves from, you know, being that lovable mid-major in the Missouri Valley to being, you know, one of the top teams in the entire country in their first year in the Big East all the way back in 2014. Yeah, be on the lookout. Timmy Ice has some great content coming out on the Igloo podcast. As always, everyone, that was your Friday edition of Final Whistle. Go enjoy some college basketball this weekend. It's tournament week on some teams, and it's the wrapping up of the regular season for others. It's going to be a really fun week. And as Tim said it, Selection Sunday is only 
nine days away. Single digits. How absurd. It's a remarkable that we got here. Enjoy your weekend, everyone. Good night.